You're a host, Kimberly Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Callahan, and we are talking about veteran and first responder mental health. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to another week of the Shiro Hotline. I'm super excited because this is actually our first episode, if you count our last one, which was really more of a pilot. <laughs> we were just testing some stuff out. Um, but today we actually have a topic in mind, but first, before we get started, some R&R. &R. Uh, so self-care is super important to us, and we want all of you to know what that means and what that looks like and how to implement it. So we've decided that before we start every episode, we're going to give you a little taste of something you can do that helps you take care of you and your mental health. Yeah, and R&R is a military acronym that we use in the military for rest and recuperation when we're going on leave for deployments and things like that. So that's one of the reasons why we chose R&R to be our introduction for self-care. So yeah, so go ahead. This, this week is Aaron's week to share some self-care tips. So um, next week will be mine. So go ahead, Aaron. Cool. So um, I know that it is quarantine time still right now as we're, in, as we're recording this. Um, Hopefully it doesn't last too much longer. But um, my favorite thing to do for self-care is actually to go to a place that is a, a sensory deprivation chamber. It basically looks like a kind of like a walk-in closet sort of size. And it's got a, a door or like one of those refrigerators that you'd see in a restaurant. It's got a door. It's got about maybe three feet of water, two feet of water in there. And it's about lukewarm. So you're not feeling like hot or cold. There's no, once you shut the door, there's no light, there's no sound. And you're just completely floating because it's saline water. It's super, super cool. I like to think like this is what it's like to be floating in outer space or something like that. Um, so I usually go to a place called Float Fresno. It's at Shaw and Sunnyside in Clovis. And the owner of that place is super duper cool. In fact, if you mention my name, Aaron Callahan, or Family Therapy Solutions, he does give a pretty sweet discount um, on your first float as well. So that'll be really cool. You guys should totally check it out. I, I am so excited to hear this because I, uh, as a veteran, I've seen some like data and some research behind float therapy, and it's really beneficial and helpful for like trauma survivors, especially for us with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, because, you know, we know our minds sometimes are so chaotic and our bodies are so chaotic from the toxic stress and the, you know, the flashbacks or whatever it is that your symptoms are. So I've heard really good things about flow therapy and I am so looking forward to trying this out. And I'm so glad that I could use your name, Erin, <laughs> to get a discount because how much does that usually cost? I think, I don't want to misquote it. Maybe I better look it up really quick, but I want to say it's like $75 or something like that. 
Um, Are you familiar? Does insurance pay for any of that? Do you know? You'd have to check with each individual insurance company is going to be different. So I can't say for sure. Um, I know that they don't bill the insurance company, but you could perhaps send in your receipt to your insurance company for reimbursement. Um, I think while you're looking that up, I was, I'm just want to tell our listeners that I know that right now it's in quarantine, so we probably can't access, you know, a float therapy session, but, um, you know, we can always improvise, right? As, I do it in my can. for now. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not you know, floating or anything like that necessarily, but like as much as I can, I just set the stage for like, okay, I'm going to just close my eyes. I'm going to lay back. Like I'm not just in there to like shave and be less stinky and wash my hair. (laughs) I'm going to relax in it. So, you know, a a calming bath is our solution for the meantime, our quarantine solution. But, um, but otherwise you guys should totally check it out once it's, once we're free again. Um, and also like, it's really cool how they clean these things because it's actually like, I compare it to like a giant dishwasher, um, where it completely comes in and flushes out like all the old water. You get fresh water every single time. So it's, it's really neat. Oh, that's really important. Sanitation. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's great to know. Yeah. Um, okay. So I actually can't find where his prices are oh because it's shut down during the quarantine time um but you can also go to their website floatfresno.com and there's a phone number right at the top of the page so if you want to stay um notified with changes and when they reopen and that kind of thing then you can always access that on their webpage floatfresno.com thank you All for right. sharing yeah so let's get into it so Cam, tell us your story. How did you, how did you get to this point in life? Yeah. So just um, before I start, I wanted to share with all my listeners, um, you know, we're, we are sharing some really heavy topics. And so I just wanted to put maybe a trigger warning because some of my story is a little traumatic. I'm not going to go into super, you know, traumatic details or anything like that, but, you know, I just wanted to show up authentically. So, you know, that's one of the things that Aaron and I had discussed that we want to make sure that we're authentic and transparent with all of you um, because we we hope that you're going to show up, you know, as authentic and transparent with us as well. So we we wanted to be the first to to start that. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So mm-hmm, go ahead, Aaron. Vulnerable. Um, the things that we are going to share with you guys in this podcast makes us completely vulnerable. But that's kind of the point, right? Is like, we want to get to the root of these things and, um, yeah. And, and so you can show up as a listener or you can show up on our Instagram page or you can even, um, message us with your story as well. And we might even, um, be able to highlight some of that throughout our podcast. So good point, Kim. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my story, it starts really early on. So, you know, before I joined the military, because most of, if you listen to the first episode, you'll know that I'm a U.S. Army veteran. But before I joined the military, I, you know, was a prior foster child. Um, I wasn't really in the system for too long. So, and I, I think Aaron, me and Aaron grew up together. So sort of, because we were in high school together, but I'm not sure if she even knows some of the 
background of my origin story. So um, this might be new for her as well. Um, so I was adopted at a pretty early age. I was probably about, I want to say maybe two or three when I was adopted officially. Um, and so I'm not going to go too much into my that origin part because, you know, there's other people involved, like my mother, my biological mother and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't a very good story. Most people who are in the foster care system or who are adopted don't have a very, you know, a very good story when it comes to that. So I, I think, honestly, as I was growing up, I had some um, attachment issues, some issues with accepting love. I think when some of our, our youth, our kiddos that have experienced some adverse childhood experiences or traumatic experiences as children, sometimes they have difficulties, you know, attaching to other people and reciprocating love, right? Feeling like they, they can get love and receive love and also give love. Um, I struggled with that. And so before I joined the military, I kind of got into some of the wrong crowds after high school, um, which is funny because Aaron probably knows me as I was a cheerleader in high school and um, I didn't really come across as being a troubled, uh, troubled youth because um, I really did a really good job at hiding it. Um, I always was super bubbly and super, you know, social and things like that. Um, but I was going through a lot. Um, just around my, you know, my family situation in life. Um, and so I got into a really bad relationship when I was, um, right before I joined the military. Um, and it was a little bit of a domestic violence situation. Um, you know, it, it wasn't what a good experience. Like, what? I have a question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, go ahead and interrupt me whenever you need to. For those listening, um, I come from a Swiss Italian family, so we talk over each other all the time. But I feel like this is really important. Why do you say a little bit of a domestic violence situation? Like, what does that mean? You know, I'm really glad that you called me out on that because we shouldn't minimize any domestic violence situation. And that's, you know, and that's part of my healing journey as well, that I minimize some of the things that happened to me, right? So, you know, it, it was, I could just put it out, out there, right? It was a domestic violence a relationship. I was not in a good spot. You know, he wasn't very nice to me. Um, you know, he was very controlling, um, physically abusive. So I guess I can, you know, thank you for calling me out on that because that's yeah. really important. To yeah, make note of that. I'm never trying to like call people out, but I, I, I wondered because I was like, well, what does that mean? Like it was not a felony. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. N none of that is justified. The therapist from the Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate that. And I think that's really important for our listeners to understand yeah. that as well is that that's not in, in no way or shape or form is domestic violence ever okay. So, and that was when I was pretty young. So I was probably about 18 or 19 years old when I was in that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and so after that, I kind of hit a little rough patch because I, you know, I left him, of course, and I lost a lot of my friends because of me going back and forth with this relationship. And I think that's so common with domestic violence situations is that they continually kind of go back to yeah. the relationship. Um, that's very so common. Seven times. Seven times they, they try to leave and will return. So, I mean, um, I wish more people knew that statistic because – it kind of helps change the expectation where you're like, girl, come on. How many times do I have to say? You're like seven. It takes seven. <laughs> not, not always. Everybody's different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I, I think some of my friends were just so tired of seeing me 
in such a bad space that they're just like, we just can't do it anymore. It was like tough love, right? We just have to stop talking to her. And eventually I left, right? But I, you know, had, I was cheering at the college and stuff and I ended up just deciding to just move. I'm like, I just need a new life, right? I just need to, new clean, clean slate, right? New people. And so I decided to join the military. And what's interesting is that I originally was going to join the Marine Corps. And I went into the, the um, recruiting station and I was all about the Marines. I was going to sign the paperwork. Um, they had me like really excited about joining the Marines. Um, and the reason why I didn't join the Marines is because the recruiter like was hitting on me. And I, yeah, I think that he just looked at me as, I, like he didn't take me very seriously. I don't. I don't think he ever really was looking to sign me up to join the military. I think he just looked at me as, you know, a, a sexual object. I want to say, and this is not to say anything bad about my Marine Corps um, brothers and sisters because I have plenty of them that I love dearly. Just this one dirt bag. <laughs> well, you know, and, and continuing on in my story, we'll we'll talk a little bit about military culture, but military culture kind of has that patriarch style where, you know, there's like a, there is kind of um, a gender imbalance when it comes to military. So sexual harassment and military sexual trauma is very prevalent in our service. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, but that was definitely the reason why I didn't join the Marines. Um, and I was sitting outside the Marine Corps office because I was waiting for them to come come into the office. I, I was really adamant. Like I really needed to get out of uh, Fresno, California, the black hole of Fresno, California. I was trying so hard to get out of here because I knew it was just not a good space for me because I knew I would go back to that relationship if I stayed. So, um, so I tried really hard to get out. And so while I was sitting there waiting, um, the army recruiter who was next door came out and was like, what are you doing out here? And he called me into his office and he was not trying to hit on me. I'm actually really good friends with him still. We still talk um, often and I still follow his family journey and stuff. Um, but he was super awesome. He's like, well, what do you need? What do you want? Let's get you signed up. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. So that's why I ended up joining the army. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had anything to say about that. No. <laughs> um, yes. Reminded me of like how there's every branch of service seems to have something to say about another branch of service. And my, my family's air force. So, um, no, I, I respect all the, all the branches and everything like that. Absolutely. We definitely do have a lot to say about each other. Um, it's, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, in basic training that kind of got all those stigmas and um, ideas of other branches really got drilled into us. Um, like, you know, bias, it basically was a stereotype or bias that we all had against each other, yeah. which is super ridiculous because we all are on the same mission, right? For most yeah. part. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's how I joined Family, the military. Like how brothers you know, quip at each other back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when I joined the, um, the army, well, interestingly enough, because now that I have this therapeutic knowledge and this lens to look through my life, I can like psychoanalyze everything that happened to me as, you know, on my timeline. And when I joined the military, um, in basic training, they have this tendency of, you know, stripping you away of everything that was you right before the military. And, kind of rebuilding you into this new person, right? Kind of almost like, I wouldn't say, sorry about that. I wouldn't say brainstorming or not brainstorming, brainwashing, 
but it sort of is kind of like a brainwash, right? Um, because they're just building you up into this new person who is more about team building and not as much about individual, right? Um, and so being a young person who has coming from domestic violence, right, going straight into the, the service, I really was looking for a connection. You know, I was looking to cling on to something. I was looking for a mission, a purpose in life, right? And I really found it in the military because um, it was all, like, it was just a huge um, surprise for me, right? Just teamwork and unit cohesion and feeling like you're a part of a family. And because I kind of struggled with feeling like I belonged anywhere in life because I was adopted, um, I really found family connection in the military. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And it's kind of funny because, like, I also hear that that's um, very similar to joining a gang. <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to make light of it, but really, like, yeah, that's it. That's what people are looking for is that camaraderie, that group cohesion, that having each other's back, you know. And, again, it's it's being used for good in protecting our country, of course, but I see what you're saying there, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so funny that you mentioned that connection, but it is because we think about gangs, you know, a lot of their previous identity is like stripped and they become this group thing, right? Where they're like thinking as a team and it's very difficult for, for you to, when we're trying to help gang members, you know, exit the gang or whatnot, it's very difficult to strip them from that new group identity. And it's very similar in the military. Um, and that's why, you know, when we talk about military sexual trauma and sexual harassment, that's why it's so, um, detrimental to um, an individual's mental health because of that strong unit cohesion. Um, and I honestly liken it to trauma bonding, you know, and I know you and I as mental health professionals, we understand what trauma bonding means, but like, you know, in a domestic violence situation or when you're, you know, with somebody who's experienced a trauma, you're going to connect really like quickly to them. Right. And you're going to, mm-hmm. to really um, hold on to each other. Right. And feel connected. And I think in the military and basic training, it is kind of like a traumatic situation because now you're going, you know, you're getting yelled at all the time and, you know, you have to, you're getting punished as a group together when somebody forgets something like (laughs) funny story. I wear glasses. And when I was in the military, um, I didn't like to wear because the glasses that they gave us in basic training were called BCGs or birth control glasses. And so they were not attractive. (laughs) Yeah. They were very ugly, yes. very thick and brown and just ugly. So I was trying so hard to not wear them, but I'm like legally blind. I can't see <laughs> anything. So you can imagine me trying not to wear them and imagine like me trying to like follow people in formation. I couldn't do it. And for the longest time I tried until one day the drill sergeant called me out. He was like, I don't think you know where you're going. So he's like, put, put her in the front of the formation. And he's like, show me where you're trying to go. And I'm like, I don't know, to the mess hall? I'm like, this way? And he's like, no, that's not the, that's not the way. So then he's like, you wear glasses? And I'm like, uh, yes, Jill Sergeant. End story for me. It was so embarrassing. I learned really quickly that my mistake could get everybody in serious trouble, which is kind of similar in, you know, when you're in combat. Your one mistake can, you know, can kill people, right? Could be somebody's life. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really good lesson for us. But I had to sit there and watch everybody else. Well, I had to put my glasses on so I could actually see them. But then I had to watch everybody get punished um, for me <laughs> while I just sat there and watched them. Um, and so that was a really quick lesson for me to 
to be a team, right? And yeah. to really think about my team members. Um, but yeah, but being a being a dep- uh, being a person who didn't really know what family was like, um, it was a super super um, close knit family. And a lot of us went on to AIT. I was a combat medic, so we went on to advanced individual training together. A lot of us were medics. Um, and so we continued on in our cohesion, right? Like becoming really close um, in training. And interestingly enough, this is kind of where I met my biological mother. So I, I know this is going to be a really interesting story for you, Erin. I know you, you can see the like wheels turning in my head. <laughs> I do. That, that's why I said that because her eyebrows went up like, ooh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of a sad story, but it's, it's a good story. It's sad and good. So imagine me in this new training unit and we were in San Antonio, Texas, because that's where um, the, milita- or the, the medic training is. Um, for the military, for army. And um, I went on MySpace because we had some free time that I was able to go onto the computer. I went on MySpace. This was back in the day <laughs> when we had MySpace. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but um, I signed into my messenger and I saw that my biological mother had messaged me. And mind you, I had never met her, um, didn't know much about her um, up until then. I knew a little bit, but not a lot. And so she's like, I've been looking for you. And I'm like, what? Like, this wow. is a this is interesting. This is um, and then she's like, you have sister, you have two brothers and a sister. And I was just like, wow, this is so amazing. And so I had to go back to, you know, back to my barracks or back to the room. Um, and I gave her my phone number because I was allowed to have a cell phone at that time. This is like during the second half of our training where we kind of had a little more freedom. Okay. Um, and so she called me the next morning, right before formation. So I still had some time to get ready to go down to formation. And she called me and was like, is this a good time to talk? And I'm like, yeah, this is a great time to talk. Um, and so I, I'm, I don't know if I should share too much about her situation, but I mean, it wasn't a good situation. She, um, it wasn't consensual, I, sh- I should say, the situation. Oh. And so I kind of found that out. And this is me finding out for the first time ever that I think for me, I felt like I was a big mistake, right? Like Mm -hmm. this wasn't supposed to happen. I wasn't supposed to be alive. And then, you know, then come to find out I was a twin. Um, And so, yeah, mind blown, right? You're like, well, I did not know that. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. So I was a, I was a twin, but my twin passed away um, pretty traumatically So this is all new to me. I'm learning this all right before formation. So I don't go to formation. I just sit there on my bunk, right, crying. And um, so one of the male drill sergeants came up to um, the floor and was like, "Um, Private Scudo, where are you? (laughs) You're not in formation. And I'm sitting there with tears on my face, like sobbing hysterically. And so he's like, he (laughs) immediately looked at me with his like big deer in the headlights look and like backed out like really slowly. Like, you know, (laughs) like when you think dramatically, like people are like, this is not where I want to be. And he like backed out <laughs> really slowly and like walked out of the room. Didn't say anything to me. Too many feelings. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He was like, I can't deal with this. I was just thinking like someone told me the other day um, that I asked them a similar question in different ways. And it, and it made this particular person feel like I was sort of interrogating them. And I, I didn't mean to be, but um, that reflection shook me for a second just because I was like, whoa, I never thought of myself as like an intimidating person. But when they reflected that to me, it was kind of scary to think like, 
I've been like that my whole life and somebody is just now telling me this like it, it blew my own mind and so when I'm listening to you talk about like oh and then I had a twin I'm like what like it just kind of makes me feel like if I were in your shoes I'd be like what is what is the truth in my life like where is the ground you know and like so that that's why um that's if you guys if this goes up on video you can see all my little like micro mannerisms <laughs> and everything right here but yeah that would just totally blow my mind so I can totally understand why you um would just sit there and take a moment you know yeah, it was, it was, it was really, um, I mean, I know I speak about this right now in a kind of nonchalant way, but it, it was really heavy. You know, th this is a really heavy story and I, I don't want to trigger anybody when it comes to this traumatic story, but it is a heavy story and it's my life story, you know, so it, it is really, um, it's not nonchalant. Yeah. It's not a joking matter, you know. empowers other people to, to share it, even though it's triggering. Like these are hard things to talk about, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them. Yeah, and it, and it and definitely as we continue on in my story and as we continue on in this podcast, I mean, you'll get to know me a little bit more. And um, you know, I I am I'm still on that healing journey, you know, because all of us, right, we're still on those healing journeys. But getting back to the story, he walked out very, um, you know, surprisingly. He was he was really awkward, you know, and he went and found a, a female drill sergeant, which was I thought was very. Um, respectful for him to do that right he went and found somebody that he felt could relate to me and he brought her up and I had never met her and she came and sat by me on the bunk and she was like she just sat there for a little while letting me you know cry and then I don't want to get emotional but you know it, it's a, it's an emotional story yeah. and um and she's just like can I help you like what's going on can you tell me what's going on and so I shared with her you know how I felt and at that moment in my life I felt like it was like really sur surreal like because, you know, as, an, as I don't know if anybody of our listeners have ever been adopted or had um, been in foster care. We, I think foster, foster kiddos or youth um, have that identity crisis or like some sort of um, questioning, you know, their purpose in life, right? Like, why was I given up for adoption or, you know, or why didn't somebody love me? You know what I'm saying? Like, so we, I think we question those things. And those are natural questions to ask. Um, when you have, um, when you don't know your parents, right? And when you're living in a new environment mm -hmm. um, for any, for any youth that's going through that. Um, and also too, we're going through identity crises on a normal developmental stage um, as a youth, adolescent, right? Um, so I, I went through all of those questioning phases, like what, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get, you know, why is my life, you know, like this or whatever? Why, why didn't somebody love me enough? Um, and so I think all of those feelings and emotions just hit me really, like really, all at once. Yeah. And then it was questioning what my purpose was in life because then you find out that the situation was a traumatic situation um, and it should never have happened. It's very, you know, it's very um, unfortunate, right, that this event had occurred. And so that also left me questioning my identity and just my purpose in life, you know. And that, that continued on for a really long time for me. But at that moment, she was like, well, you know, this happened and we're going to get, she's like, we're, you're going to get through this and it's going to be okay. Um, she's like, so what can we do in the moment to help you? Um, she was like my mini therapist at that moment, right? <laughs> and um, and so they decided as a team that I could meet my mom. So they flew, her, they let me um, fly her in, which is kind of not really something that they did normally. Because um, normally when you're in basic training or advanced individual training, 
that's your duty station right there. You're really not allowed to leave base, you know, or do other things. But it was really interesting that they thought it was really important for me to have this moment with her. Yeah. So, um, so she flew in and I got to have a weekend to meet her. Um, and it, yeah, it was really emotional. We got to know each other a little bit. Um, and I found out that I had siblings and I got to talk to my siblings, my, my brothers for the first time ever, which was really interesting that she didn't bring them, you know, but at least I got to speak to them on the phone. Um, so, so yeah, that was all a really emotional journey. And that was all before I got to my first duty station. So th this is just wow. like, I'm joining the military. I'm trying to figure out my place in the military. And then I find this out. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You said what? Oh, I said, take life by the horns. Like everything is just kind of coming at you at one time. But, but it sounds like you were, you were really riding that wave. You know, you were doing the things, even if you're emotional or even if you express negative emotion, like you were still showing up and handling your business, handling what life threw at you. So. Yeah. And that, that's all about resilience. Right. And yeah. it's funny. It's funny how I, I always question my resiliency. Like I'm not strong. I'm so weak. Right. And, but when you look back on it and those situations, you're like, wow, I did not even think I could get through that, but I did, you know, mm -hmm. and I came out on the other side. I mean, it took me a really, don't, don't get me wrong. It took me a very long time and we'll, we'll continue on in my story to just, to just see how, how far along it took me. But you know, but I look back on that moment and yeah, you know, I did, I did, I made it through and I continued on in life and I made, you know, connections with my siblings, not like I wanted to be like, we weren't really close, you know, um, cause like I said, those attachment disorders, right. Those, those, um, knowing how to make authentic relationships, that was difficult for me, mm -hmm. um, as a, you know, as a child who didn't have like a really strong family bond before the military. Um, but yeah, so I made those really strong connections and I, my first duty station was in Launchstool Regional Medical Center, which, um, is commonly known as LARMC. <laughs> it's what we call it. It's overseas in Germany. And, um, that was my first duty station. And so this was in the beginning of the Iraqi and Afghanistan wars. And so, um, and I don't know where you were in when, um, 9-11 happened. Do you remember where you were, Erin? Uh, I remember being at our high school and I, I had English class first period. I know my mom was super scared about letting me go to school, but my dad was also in the military and I assume he was like, yeah, you know, like go ahead or whatever. So we, we went and we just watched it on the TV in first period and like, it was super eerie. Like this isn't real life. Yeah, exactly. That That's how I felt too. And it's, it's cause so when I joined the military, I honestly wasn't really thinking too much about um, what that meant, you know, because that is, that was a huge life-changing moment for everybody. I think the nation, it rocked the nation, right? Um, mm -hmm. that situation. And then I, then I go ahead and join the military. Um, and I, I, I got to launch probably about 2000 and I want to say 2005, probably, um, close to 2006, but mostly in 2005. And um, that was kind of in the earlier stages of where the casualties started, like really coming in into our hospital. So the, where the hospital was, it was the only hospital overseas that was like the middle ground when from the battlefield directly to us and then um, to, um, you know, the states. So we stabilized them and we made sure that they were, you know, we pretty much saved their lives, stabilized them before they got to transport to the state. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so that that's kind of what we did for our mission. So that was my regular day every day show up to work. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so unfortunately about 
not even a year till I was there, I actually experienced a military sexual trauma. Um, and we talked about a little bit about military culture, how strong the unit cohesion is. Of course, that really rocked my world. I mean, it was a traumatic experience for me, um, being that I was new in the unit and, you know, then this sexual assault occurred and I actually had a traumatic brain injury that occurred from it. So I had a head injury. Um, but because of the unit cohesion, I really, I kept silent. I didn't want to so tell anybody about it. Was somebody within your unit or was somebody that you would otherwise have trusted to have your back? Yeah, it was, it, he was in a leadership position actually. Oh, so wow. he was an NCO. Yeah. He was, um, a supervisor, not my the supervisor, but a supervisor. This happens a lot, huh? It's very, very common. Unfortunately, it's incredibly common. Wow. Um, and the repercussions of it, cause a lot of people, don't speak up about military sexual trauma because of those strong unit cohesion, the strong mm -hmm. bonds that we have. It's almost like if you want to speak up about it, you're going to betray other people or betray your battle buddies, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be the one that is not the team player, you know? Yeah. So, and that's not like said, like nobody's telling you that you have to do this, but it's almost like an unsaid rule, right? Yeah. That everybody kind of knows. And so we just don't speak about it. And then when you see things that happen, like uh, mishandling of cases. And that's very predominant too. We see that in the news and the media. They talk a lot about how, how much the cases have been mishandled. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes people's rank or their achievements, those will it'll minimize the actual assault. Do so those people won't get in trouble. Do they like, do, does leadership get any kind of um, like sensitivity training or something like that? Yeah, they do now. It, back when I was in the service, it wasn't, it was very minimal. We didn't talk a lot about it. Um, but because everybody started to come forward and talk about this a lot more, it's becoming a little bit no more normalized. And so yeah. they're trying to work on it. That's but it's the thing, because everybody started talking about it and everybody started coming forward. I love that because we are, we are so um, encouraged to keep quiet and stop being a little bitch and I don't want to hear your drama and you know that's how it comes out in the day-to-day -day. but finally some people got brave and started talking about it and now we have trainings for it which isn't to say that that fixed the problem but at least somebody's trying out some solutions and I'm hoping that that has influenced um, the issues in some positive way. You know, I think it may, cause, so looking at the data, and I, I speak a lot about this on my Invisible Combat platform, um, especially right now, because we're actually in April. I don't know when this is going to, um, when we're actually going to post this or publish this, but April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So this month, I've been talking a lot about military sexual trauma and looking at some of the data, the recent data, and it's still very, very, very prevalent. I mean, the numbers are shocking but a lot more people are reporting like back when I was in the service and a lot of people can relate. I'm sure that they didn't speak about it. You know, no one really reported it, but now there's an increase in reporting, but there's also an increase in like suicides and there's also an increase in, um, you know, negative repercussions. So some of the reasons why we don't, some, some women or some men actually too, because men are also military sexual trauma survivors. Mm -hmm. They don't come forward because of retaliation. And the, un the unique part about the military is that um, your medical records are not always private. So the command has access to your medical records to see if you're mentally stable for duty. Mm -hmm. And so if you are complaining, you know, so to speak, in quotation, I wouldn't say we're complainers, but if you are reporting a sexual trauma and 
the command is against somebody who's in a leadership role, they could think that you're the one just blowing smoke or trying to ruin this person's career, mm-hmm. right? So they may minimize the situation and punish the, the victim. Um, and it's happened so often. Yeah. Um, and the way, the way that they punish it is really administratively. Like um, they may not outright say you're, you know, you're in trouble for reporting this, but they'll do it in small ways. Like um, right now we have, we're, they have the opportunity to have hardship transfers so they can transfer to another unit to get out of that hostile environment. But maybe they take three months to, to transport them, right? Instead of immediately. And then they're stuck in that hostile environment. Like for me personally, I can, I can speak on my situation. And um, back then they didn't have a lot of training. We didn't have the hardship transfer opportunities. I was stuck in that unit. And literally I was treated like shit. <laughs> like I would walk down the hallway when, cause I honestly, I didn't report it. The only reason why I reported it is because, um, you know, and this is a triggering moment. I was, I became pregnant out of uh, sexual assault. And the reason why, um, I reported it was because of that reason. Mm-hmm. And so everybody well, found so out about it. You wouldn't have said anything if you no, pregnant. No, I was trying not to. Nope. And, and that, remember I said I had the head injury. So I had a traumatic brain injury. And um, I didn't, I was trying so hard to pretend like nothing was wrong. That I was going through all of the symptoms, the headaches, the falling asleep, the, the cognitive dysfunction. I had a lot of cognitive dysfunction because of it. Um, and I wasn't speaking about it. So they found out about that after that. And everybody in the unit found out. Um, and so I literally walked down the hallway and people would turn their back on me. <laughs> I would sit down in the cafeteria. People would get up and walk away. It was, I mean, it, it's like you're in a hostile environment, but you're not in a combat zone, you know, mm-hmm. but you're within your own team, like within your own family unit. Um, it's devastating. It's like, uh, you know, we talk about moral injury and we did that this last, the last episode, but it really is a soul shattering experience for a lot of military sexual trauma survivors because they're in the situation where the their family basically is betraying them and they have nobody to turn to. Like we don't, I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have anybody to share this story with, you know, or to get yeah. support from. And that uh, really is like yeah. a secondary trauma too. Like the first trauma is, is the sexual assault. The second trauma, and I see it as a totally different um, incidents is the social justice or the lack of social justice that comes out of that. Like that's two things, people. That is not one thing. That is two things. You know, somebody offended me. Ouch. Nobody cares. Double ouch. Like I just got to point that out because it's like, we just make it worse by not standing up for those people. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just that invalidation, right? Of your experience you know, that like with trauma survivors, that being heard and feeling validated, that's really important because it's almost like a gaslighting experience, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're trying to explain this happened to me and people are like, I don't believe you, or they're minimizing it. Like, it's not a big deal, you know, or they're calling you names. Like you're just a slut, right? Or you're just a whore right. or, you know, all those different things. I mean, that was happening to me. It was like a bullying, right? Um, it was so bad that I had to ask for leave. So they gave me um, temporary leave for a while. I got to take a whole month. Um, off and I went, I came back to home to Clovis mm-hmm. um, and I got to come home and see some of my old friends. Um, some of our old friends, actually, I spent some time with them. Um, and then I had to go right back into the hostility. Um, so it's, it's just like this huge, it's like anxiety, right? And then on top of that, you're just drenched in shame and guilt. And you think, you know, because for regular sexual assault trauma survivors, um, 
sometimes you do have that shame and guilt, like it's your fault somehow, right? Like you internalize this guilt. Um, and with military, it's really exasperated because of that hostility um, within the unit. And so now you're really feeling like it's your fault somehow because now everybody hates you, right? And you're like, I should have just kept my mouth shut or I should have just not been at that is somehow like you have to justify it. Like this is my fault because everybody else feels like it is. Um, when, like, when really you feel like you have control or you don't want to admit that you had a lack of control over a moment. So yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm just desperately searching for what could I have done differently when sometimes the answer is you couldn't sweetheart. Like that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, and so even, even going forward, so I, I kept that internalized for a really long time. And then when we think about, you know, in the military, we're, we're, a mission comes first, right? Before self-care, so often. And that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons why we say this, but, our, but first R&R, because, you know, we are so important and we have to make sure that we are good. If we're going to be helping anybody else, we have to make sure that we are not pouring from an empty cup ourselves. Yeah. Um, but first is not, but first we start our podcast. It's, but first you need to have something in your tank to be able to give to other people. Yeah. I'm so glad you, you brought that back up. Exactly. So, uh, you know, so I was doing the mission, I was saving lives. That's what we did as medics, right? We, we go out there, we, we make sure that our patients are good. Our severely wounded soldiers are, you know, surviving, right? We're holding their hands. We're, you know, we're talking to them. We're doing all the regular mission essential stuff. And, but secretly I was going through just chaos and darkness, right? I was just a a straight mess and I was coping in really inappropriate ways. You know, um, I didn't have good coping outlets, right? I didn't have any good coping strategies. Um, so I was using, you know, alcohol and I was doing all the, the really bad things we think about when we think about coping. I was doing them, you know, um, just trying to survive. Um, on top of that, I had that TBI. So I, I actually worked in the neurology clinic, which was very ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was helping other people, other soldiers that came in that had TBIs. Um, and I was helping to actually, ironically enough, when I left, they started a really big TBI rehabilitation program in Launchstall. It's like a really, it's like a well-known program now. And I was in the beginning phases of that. So I supported that. I helped, I sat in the meetings and took notes when the general was talking about the funding for this program. And meanwhile, I'm over there with the TBI (laughs) and I'm not being supported. It's, it was so ironic and so surreal. So until I found out that I actually had a TBI, I didn't know what was happening to me. So they thought I was narcoleptic. They thought I was having sleep issues. I was being, um, you know, treated and looked at like I had narcoleptic issues. And that's not the case. I had a concussion. I had a severe concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even had like, you know, it even showed up like on my skull. So it, it just was, it was just a real that I was going through all these things. Um, I was forgetting things. I forgetting to go to formation. I was forgetting, I was getting in trouble a lot because of this head injury that I had. And also just the, you know, the, the poor coping skills that I was developing. Um, and I feel like as a unit or as leadership, if you pay attention to your soldiers or you pay attention to your individuals that you are supervising, you would know when something's off, mm-hmm. you know, you should know. And I think that's what, that's what the, that's what needs to happen with leadership in the military is that they really need to pay attention to their soldiers and get to know them on a personal level and not just treat them like soldiers. Mm-hmm. Like I say this a lot on my page. We are humans before we're soldiers and we are 
humans while we're soldiers and we're definitely humans when we leave the military. And I think that part of it gets um, forgotten, right? Um, when, when we're dealing with soldiers, because we're, 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 ta- we're taught to be tough and resilient and we focus a lot on resiliency. And then it's like, if you have a trauma and you're not doing okay, you're not being very resilient, right? Or you feel like you're not being very resilient. And so, um, so that can really, you know, become an internalized factor in just how you respond to trauma in the future and also how you heal from the trauma that you're experiencing in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's a, that's a lot to take in. I mean, uh, <laughs> I know that this is a really heavy topic. Um, no, I'm just, just so glad that you're sharing this with us because I mean, I want people to know that when we talk about these things, we know what we're talking about and it comes from a place of genuineness. Um, and, uh, like you said, authenticity and we don't know everything about everything, but this is a lot to take in, like you said, and and it's a lot to grow off of. So I'm excited, uh, for our future episodes and you guys as listeners, you might hear us throw out some, um, catchphrase things that are either therapeutic or military related feel free to ask us to elaborate on some stuff on our facebook page or on our instagram if you want to direct message us um but also i just wanted to say like we do have those things listed as well for future episodes to go into more depth so if there's something you don't understand right now like moral injury or uh you know the difference between sexual trauma and you know, uh, rape or whatever, you know, like we'll mince these things out as we go along. And so that's just a little bit of a teaser also to stay tuned. It'll make more sense. Like as we, as we get more time to dive into those topics. Um, but also I, I'm not wanting to be uh, hesitant about using those terms because I'd like for them to become more common knowledge. I want to give our listeners more of a vocabulary to be able to identify these things and talk about these things and, and be self-reflective. Yeah, absolutely. I really, I completely agree. And um, that was honestly, when we start talking about my healing journey, that was all, actually one of the things that really propelled me into healing was um, learning the concepts and learning um, just how trauma interacted with my body and how nothing was ever wrong with me. You know, it was just the way that I was responding to trauma and I didn't have those, um, I didn't have the education or the knowledge, I would say, and not the education, the knowledge of how that affected my body. And that, you know, cause we talk a lot about psychoeducation in the mental health field. And that's just really important to, for me, it really catapulted me into my healing journey was really recognizing what was actually happening to me and, and how, why I was responding the way that I was to things. Yeah. Wisdom totally soothes anxiety a lot of, for a lot of people, I should say, um, similar to when you get, um, some symptoms and you want to go on uh, WebMD to figure out what you've got, you know, it, it, sometimes it helps just to know that there is a diagnosis. There is a label. This is a thing. And it's been written about in books for many, many centuries or whatever. So, um, that's always, that's always kind of soothing to know. And, and important for those of you that do deal with anxiety to know that sometimes, uh, like you said, gaining knowledge or researching, will help soothe that anxiety. And then for some people also, you can, you can go too far with it and create more anxiety. So just 
know yourself, you know, figure that out. Oh my gosh. Yes. Google is not always your best friend when right. it comes to Googling symptoms. I've done that. And I literally thought I was dying so many times in my life. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Google says I am dying. So that means I'm dying. that can cause much more anxiety. So no, don't, don't, don't always do that. <laughs> you know, actually that's funny because when I was a military spouse, I had both of my babies in a, um, on a military base hospital and I saw my doctor Google something one time and I was just like, no, <laughs> like my whole glass shattered of feeling like they were the expert. And then I was suddenly left feeling like I could have done that myself. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being so open and transparent um, with both me and our listeners and guys, we went to high school together, Kim and I, but I, I honestly didn't know a lot of this stuff. Um, but that, that was just me. I was kind of a loner and I kept to myself. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm super glad to know that. And we're all on this journey together. Yeah. And, and I wanted to share too that, um, because we're, we're trying really hard to keep our episodes not too long because we know that, you know, it can be sometimes when we get too lengthy, especially when we're so busy. I know I'm busy. I know Aaron's busy um, when it comes to episodes. So nobody wants to sit and listen to like two hours, three hour long episodes. So we're trying to, um, you know, to keep them a little bit smaller. So I don't want to leave any of our listeners like to think that that's the end of my story, because of course, like she said, we're all on a healing journey. And I think um, next week, because I didn't, we didn't expect it to be this long, but next week we'll go into how I healed from those traumas, because I think that's so important to, to continue on in that story. And it wasn't just all negative. And the reason why I'm able to speak about it so candidly now is because we, we healed. I healed, right? I started healing. Um, and that's really important to bring light to, I think. Cool. So I think that that that'll be great. We we do need to know like the ending to that story. You just like left us right at the climax. So um, I think we will definitely dive back into that. Eventually, we want to share some listener mail with you guys. We want to highlight some sheroes and some heroes from our Facebook and Instagram submissions. Um, so like us at Shiro Hotline or find us on Facebook Shiro Hotline. And let us know what your story is. And, you know, we all want to get in on this together. And then we'll, like I said, break apart some of those terminology um, and therapeutic topics. And, and um, we want to hear your success stories as well. So thanks for joining us this week. We will talk to you again next week at Shiro Hotline. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for listening.